Good morning. If you please take out your copy of the scriptures, turn to Luke chapter 5. We continue in our study of the gospel of Luke, and uh, this morning we come to chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Let me start by reading the text. This is the word that God has for you this morning. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. Now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So I'm texting with... Aaron, earlier this week, we were going to grab dinner on Saturday, and I asked him, where do you want to eat? And he says, how about, and he names a a restaurant in the neighborhood, uh, to which I simply replied, no. Now he's seeing that text, uh, he's confused, he's wondering, like, well, what's that all about? And that's because Aaron didn't know the context and the backstory, the background of what's going on. You see, the context and the background is that uh, our very first apartment when we moved into the city was uh, four floors above uh, said restaurant. Uh, And one day there was a a huge fire in that restaurant's kitchen. And so uh, our our apartment suffered all kinds of like smoke damage. And the aftermath was just this whole ordeal. We had to wash and wipe and clean everything. And we had to get rid of a bunch of stuff. and, And we eventually had to move out. And so that restaurant, right, nothing against the food there, uh, but eating there would have brought back a lot of, I don't know, like unpleasant memories. Now, if I told my wife that I didn't want to eat at that restaurant, like, she would get it immediately because she knows the context and the background, but Aaron, Aaron didn't know. And so to him, like, my staunch convictions to not eat there uh, didn't make any sense. Right? He didn't get it. Uh, he didn't understand what was going on because he didn't know the context and the background. Uh, the Bible that you're holding in your hands, uh, the Bible that, Lord willing, will study this morning, uh, it is an eternal text because it was written by uh, an eternal author, right? the holy God of the universe, uh, using the means of human authors like Luke. And so the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, uh, that is just as true today as it was in the first century AD when the New Testament was written. And so it is an ever-relevant text, but we also need to remember when we read and study the Bible that the Bible was not written to us. The Gospel of Luke was not written to us. Uh, It was written to most excellent Theophilus. Uh, It was not written to or in our 21st century American context. Which means that sometimes we've got to do a little bit of work to get the context 
and the background uh, so that we can understand the stories the way the original readers would have understood them. Otherwise, we're like Aaron. Uh, We won't get it. We won't really understand what's going on. Uh, Or we might get it on like a surface level, uh, but we miss out on the deeper truths that are being conveyed. I say all that to point out that our narrative today is one of those stories. One of those stories that unless we do a little bit of work uh, to understand the context and the background, like we can miss out on both the meaning and the intended impact of the story. Because we might read a story like this on a surface level and think, well, just another healing for Jesus. Uh, This time it just happens to be a leper. But really the story is supposed to go like much deeper than that. Uh, There's much more here than just another healing. And so just fair warning, uh, you're probably going to learn more about leprosy this morning than you ever wanted to learn. But my hope is that understanding all of that, right, like the context and the background, understanding that, uh, that will help us to see this story the way that Luke and ultimately God the Holy Spirit intended his readers to see it. Because brothers and sisters, I think you'll agree with me here, we don't want to see Jesus just as we want to see him. Uh, We want to see Jesus as God wants us to see him. And so here's our game plan for this morning. First, I'm going to give you a little background on leprosy, uh, and specifically how first century Jewish culture would have understood leprosy. And then given that background, we're going to look at three ways in which this story would have been like absolutely shocking to Luke's original audience. And then we're going to look at how this story about a man suffering from what is today a a rare and treatable disease, like how this is still very relevant and applicable to us. But first, let's go to the Lord once again and ask him to help us. Father, we praise you for your grace. Uh, Were it not for your grace acting in our lives, who knows where uh, each of us would be on this particular Sunday morning. But your grace has brought us here. Uh, Your sovereign providence has placed us under your word this morning. And so we ask that you would speak uh, for your servants here. Uh, Help us to concentrate and focus in our minds. Help us not to be distracted by our surroundings or by the cares of this world. Help us to be renewed in our minds, even as we think through this text. Uh, We wish to see Jesus in his glory, in his compassion and mercy, in his power. And so we ask that you would grant to us eyes to see him clearly. We ask all these things in his wonderful name. Amen. So let's talk leprosy. Now when the Bible refers to leprosy, uh, if you have an ESV, you should have a footnote there in verse 12 that says leprosy was a term for several skin diseases. Uh, And so leprosy in the Bible refers to a wider range of skin diseases than just Uh, Hansen's disease, right? What modern pathologists would call leprosy. Now, Hansen's disease, uh, what uh, we refer to today as leprosy, 
it's a really terrible thing. Now, you can do some research on your own on this, but basically it's this bacterial infection that attacks your nervous system so that you really can't feel pain. And that can lead to serious damage through uh, unnoticed injuries and, and burns and infections. Uh, and it infects your, your muscles and your eyes and your speech. And it can be really debilitating to your body. But when the Bible, both in the Old and New Testaments, uh, uses that term leprosy, uh, it's referring to a wide range of skin diseases that would have included Hansen's disease, uh, but wasn't limited to Hansen's disease. It was a big deal back then. As a matter of fact, the two longest chapters in the book of Leviticus, uh, checking in at 59 and 57 verses, are Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, which are basically all about these various skin diseases. Uh, In Leviticus 13 in particular, it's about how a priest was to distinguish between like the more serious and more contagious skin diseases, for example, Hansen's disease, and then less serious uh, and less contagious forms. Uh, And these skin diseases, in all of their forms, they were a very common thing back in Old Testament Israel, You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 27. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And presumably, that's still true 700 years later. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Jesus. But here's the key takeaway for us as we think specifically about our story in Luke chapter 5. Whatever this man had, Like, whether it's Hansen's disease or a related skin disease or something entirely different that created uh, lesions and sores on his skin, whatever he had, and we're just going to call it leprosy this morning in like a non-technical sense, whatever kind of leprosy he had, like, it was really bad. Like, this is not a minor case of skin inflammation that, you know, just rub a little moisturizer on it and you'll be okay. Look at how Luke describes him in verse 12. He is a man full of leprosy. We don't know if that's a formal medical term or what. Uh, Maybe it's just Dr. Luke's description. But clearly the point is that this is not a minor case. He was full of leprosy. And that word there, full of, it's related to a word that we saw last week. Remember the large number of fish, like a multitude, a plethora of fish. And so just like those nets were bursting with fish, uh, you can picture this man just like bursting with leprosy. Whatever it was, this is full-blown, like late-stage skin disease. Here's the key thing that we need to know about leprosy in that culture And this is where the context and the background will be really helpful for us. Like, as bad as leprosy was physically, uh, the worst part wasn't the physical damage that the disease would do to your body. Uh, The worst part were all the social and religious implications. Because as a leper, like if you indeed did have uh, a contagious skin disease... Well, you would have to be quarantined and separated from the rest of society, lest it spread to the rest of the people. And so Leviticus 13 gives really specific instructions on what the leper was to do. Uh, Look at Leviticus 13, 
Verse 45, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And so he was to mark himself clearly, right, through his appearance and through his words, unclean, unclean, so that nobody would accidentally come near him or touch him and become infected themselves. Next verse is verse 46. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so he was to be completely isolated, completely quarantined. Uh, He's not only cut off from all human and societal contact. uh, He can't have family. He can't have friends. He can't have a job. He can't live at home. He can't be around other people, period. Uh, In the Talmud, it says that you can't be within six feet of a leper. Like to be anywhere near him, to to touch him, was completely prohibited. Uh, They were always to remain separate from others. And so actually in Luke chapter 17, there's that story of the ten lepers. And Luke describes them as being at a distance, right? These people were always at a distance. They had to be. But it's not just that. It's also that one of the major ramifications of being a leper, you couldn't participate in the public worship of God. Not just because they weren't allowed to be around other people, like you can't be in the synagogue or be in the temple when there's others around. Even if they were the only ones there, they still wouldn't be allowed in because they were classified as unclean, as defiled, right? impure, unfit to worship. And so leprosy back then was basically like a death sentence. Right? It was viewed as a form of living death. Again, not just in a physical sense, as in they're physically dying, but even more significantly in a social, societal sense, like they're dead to everybody else in society. Three examples of just kind of the social aspect of leprosy from the Old Testament. And I think these examples will be helpful for us to kind of paint the full picture of just how horrible of a disease this was back then. First, David. Remember back when we were in Second Samuel, you have that story of uh, Joab, who is David's military commander, and he kills Abner, Saul's military commander. Uh, like he pulls him aside at the gate, and he just kind of stabs him in the stomach. You'll remember that David's really upset about that. And so look at what he says about Joab, 2 Samuel 3.29. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house, and may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous. Like David's trying to curse Joab, and like the worst thing that he can think of to say is that Joab's descendants would always have leprosy. And again, it's not just the physical aspect It's the socio-religious aspects. Second, do you remember King Uzziah? Becomes proud to his destruction. Uh, He tries to burn incense, even though that's something that only the priests were to do. When he's confronted by those priests, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. What does he do? Uh, Instead of repenting, he gets angry, and so God strikes him with leprosy, And look at what it says about him in 2 Chronicles 26, 21. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. But now notice how the author doesn't say anything about the physical pain or the deterioration of his body. He only points out the exclusion from his family and being a leper, lived in a separate house. 
and from national corporate worship, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. Third, consider the case of Moses' sister Miriam. There's a story in Numbers chapter 12 when Miriam and Aaron, uh, Moses' siblings, speak against him and ultimately the Lord. And God strikes Miriam with leprosy and Aaron pleads on behalf of his sister, let her not be as one dead. Again, because leprosy was viewed as a death sentence. Not just physically as an incurable disease back then that would eventually kill the person, but also as a social, societal death sentence. And so as we think about this story in Luke chapter 5, and really all that we've done so far is just kind of lay out the context and the background, uh, what this man's dealing with as a leper in that society, uh, we see that it was no small thing. Like this isn't just a man who is sick or unwell. This is a man who is perpetually defined by his state of being unclean. And in a culture where honor and shame were of paramount importance, like, there are few things more shameful, more defiling, more degrading, more humiliating than being a leper. This man had carried that stigma, that shame, that impurity for presumably years, if not decades. There came a man full of leprosy. So now armed with, like, all that background and context. Let's now look at our story. And uh, as we go through this story, I want to point out to you three things, uh, given how lepers and leprosy was viewed in that culture, three things that would have been absolutely like shocking to Luke's original audience. Starting in verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the cities. Now, as careful readers of Luke, right, let's not just breeze past that. That's supposed to draw our attention back to chapter 4, verse 43, the very end of that chapter. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. And I don't know why the ESV uses towns there and cities in our passage. It's really the same Greek word. Uh, To the other cities as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so Jesus was sent by the Father for that purpose, to go to the other cities and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And then Luke 5.12 starts, while he was in one of those cities. And so we know exactly what he's doing there, right? He's not sightseeing. He's not like checking out his favorite restaurants. He's not just hanging out. He is fulfilling the purpose for which he was sent, which is to bring the good news. The good news that salvation is now here in him. That he had come to seek and save the lost. That he had come to bring sinners to God. And it's in one such city that, look at verse 12, there came a man full of leprosy. And the ESV, for some reason, takes out a word that should be there. Uh, Some of our other translations will have it. uh, And that's the word behold. And, And so the verse should read, While he was in one of the cities, behold, there came a man full of leprosy. Uh, It's an expression of surprise, right? Like like of shock. Whoa, like behold, a man full of leprosy. Because shock number one in this story is that lepers are not supposed to be in cities. We're supposed to read verse 12 like, what is he doing here? 
Remember Leviticus 13, he's unclean. He's supposed to be isolated and quarantined and separated. He's not allowed in the city. Is he trying to defile all of us and make us unclean? Get him away. Our text doesn't say this, but I think it's fair to assume that there was at least some crowd there with Jesus. Remember our narrative from last week? There were so many people, the crowd's pressing in on him, and so he's got to get out into a boat to address all the multitudes. Jesus is incredibly popular, so much so the next narrative, right, down in chapter 5, the crowds are so big that they had to let a paralyzed man through the roof. And so presumably there were crowds around Jesus, and these crowds would have been shocked, they would have been disgusted, they would have been aghast, that behold, a man full of leprosy. He's not supposed to be there. And he knows he's not supposed to be there all his life. He's been told that he is not welcome. Like as long as he's had this disease, he's been told that he's not supposed to be in the cities. He's not supposed to be near anyone else. But quite frankly, he doesn't care. Presumably he's gotten word that Jesus has been healing anyone and everyone. Like he truly believes that Jesus is able to heal him. And so in this absolute desperation, not just because of the physical toll of the disease, but because of the social isolation and the, the religious separation, in his absolute desperation, he does not care what stands between him and Jesus. He just has to see him. And so verse 12, when he saw Jesus... He throws every convention and regulation and rule about isolation and quarantine and distancing out the window. And he just runs to Jesus and he falls on his face before him and he begs him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Several things I want you to notice there. First, notice what he says. He doesn't say, you can heal me or you can make me well. Although ultimately, Jesus does heal him and make him well. He says, you can make me clean. Because again, leprosy back then was much more than a physical disease of which you had to be healed. It was a condition of uncleanness from which you had to be cleansed. You can make me clean. Second, notice the man's posture. He falls down on his face. Uh, Presumably he's on his knees. His face is to the ground. He's in complete submission. And that's a posture of reverence that we're familiar with. Because you remember Simon Peter from last week. Third, notice how he addresses Jesus as Lord. Again, remember from last week, right? Kurios, Lord. It's a word that every single time that it's been used in the Gospel of Luke so far, and this is number 35, it's always been used to describe deity. So this leper, however rudimentary his understanding might have been, like I doubt he would have been able to recite the Nicene Creed or anything like that, but he's got this very basic understanding, this basic faith, that this man in front of him was no ordinary man, that this was God. Which leads us to the fourth observation about this encounter. Notice how the leper doesn't say, God willing, you can make me clean. He says, if you will. 
Again, pointing to his understanding, however rudimentary, that this is no ordinary man standing in front of him, that the man in front of him could, by his own will, heal what is broken and make clean what is unclean. This man knew that Jesus could heal him. And as readers of this gospel, like, we have to agree with him, right? Like, we've, we've seen over and over again already in this gospel that Jesus is able We have seen the power and the authority of his word to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Let me just consider Luke 440. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Like Luke has made it abundantly clear already in his gospel, Jesus is able. Oh, he is able. That's not even a question at this point. There's only one question that remains in the leper's mind, in our minds as readers. Is he willing? He is able. The leper knows that. And soon he's going to find out that the hymn writer was right. He is able. He is able. He's willing. Doubt no more. And so shock number one in this story is that lepers are not supposed to be in cities. Shock number two in this story is that lepers are never to be touched. And so you can imagine the shock of the crowds that were there that day. And you can imagine the shock of Theophilus as he reads verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched the leper, saying, I will be clean. Like he did what? Well, first, he stretched out his hand, and if you've read the Old Testament, that phrase might ring a bell. Uh, It's a phrase that's used over and over in the Old Testament to describe how God acts, how he intervenes in the affairs of men. Uh, For example, Isaiah 14, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? And so God stretching out his hand refers to his purposing and directly acting in human affairs. And that's exactly what's happening in this story. But second, and most significantly, Jesus touches the leper. And that's really fascinating if you think about it. Because it's really quite unnecessary. Like we've already seen in this gospel, the power of Jesus' word. He can perform miracles by just speaking. And we're going to see this even like, more pronounced in, in Luke chapter 7, which we'll probably get to in like 2024. Uh, there's a story there of this centurion, right? His, his servant is sick, okay? And Jesus heals him from afar, like a distance healing. He's not even anywhere close to him, but at his word, the servant is healed. All that to say, Jesus didn't have to touch the leper. He could have easily and naturally just stood over him and declared, I will be clean, and healed him without a touch. But he touches him. That's shocking. He touches one who is never supposed to be touched. He touches one who, if any ordinary man touched him, he would have instantly become unclean himself. And so we have to ask, why would Jesus touch him? Well, for one, by touching the leper, Jesus powerfully demonstrates that he is no ordinary man. 
An ordinary man would become unclean. But he's not one who himself can become unclean. And when Jesus touches the leper, it's not that Jesus becomes unclean, it's that the leper becomes clean. But there's even more, and Mark's gospel helpfully fills us in here. Look at what it says in Mark 141, in the same account. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Moved with pity. It was in pity for this poor man, in compassion for this outcast, that Jesus touches him. Because of his isolation, because of his condition, this man probably hadn't felt a human touch in years. Maybe COVID was a helpful reminder to us of the, just the importance of a hug or a warm handshake or just a, a reaffirming hand on your shoulder. This man hadn't had any of that, probably for years. Now here's Jesus, moved with pity, and he reaches out to touch him and heal him. Shock number two, lepers are not supposed to be touched, but Jesus goes out of his way to touch this leper that he might be made clean. Which brings us now to shock number three in this story. And that's that lepers are not supposed to be healed. Like we said earlier, leprosy was basically viewed in that culture as a death sentence. Like there's no coming back from this. There's no cure. Uh, as a matter of fact, rabbinic tradition claimed that it was harder to heal a leper than to raise the dead. Let me think about it. Right, Elijah and Elisha and all, all the miracle workers of the Old Testament, uh, they raise a total of two people from the dead, but they only heal one leper amongst all of them. And remember, it wasn't for a lack of lepers to heal. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So lepers are not supposed to be healed. And yet here's Jesus... He touches the leper. He says, I will be clean. And just like that, by second half of verse 13, immediately, immediately, immediately the leprosy left him. Again, that's just one of those verses that we can breeze over and we can miss how shocking it would have been to the original audience that Jesus has just done what is viewed as basically being impossible. Jesus just healed a leper. This isn't one of those gradual, like, all right, like, take these for the next six weeks, come back to see me, we'll see if it's gotten better kind of things. This isn't just addressing one symptom. This isn't just addressing one aspect of the disease. This is a wholesale, top-to-bottom cure. Like, there's no residual lingering weakness or an extensive recovery period or anything like that. Immediately, this man is a brand-new person. Shock number three, lepers are not supposed to be healed. But Jesus heals a leper. And so what does that say about Jesus? There's a story in Luke chapter 7. John the Baptist, perhaps disheartened because well, he's been in jail. Maybe he's confused as to what kind of Messiah Jesus was going to be. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus a question. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? 
Basically, are you the Messiah? Are you really the Messiah, the one for whom I was supposed to be the forerunner? And if so, how come you're not doing what we all expected? Now look at Jesus' response. Luke 7, 22. He answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Lepers are cleansed. Like, that's how you know that I am the Messiah. Because shock number three, right? Lepers are not supposed to be cleansed, but that's exactly what Jesus is doing. That is one of the defining actions of his messiahship. Like one of the things that would clearly demarcate him to be the long-awaited messiah was that he would cleanse lepers. That's really what this story is about. Remember how I said in the beginning that this story was much more than just another healing This is a healing that bolsters his claim and as readers, our confidence that Jesus really is who he says he is. The spirit-anointed Messiah from Isaiah who has come to set at liberty those who are oppressed, like this leper. But the story's not quite done yet. Look at verse 14. Jesus tells the man not to tell anyone to go straight to the priest. You see, the leper can't just be like, great, like, it's all gone now. I'm not contagious anymore, everybody, and kind of integrate himself back into society. No, a priest would have to inspect him, and if and only if the priest medically clears him, then can he go and rejoin society. And so Jesus tells the man to go and show himself first to the priest, and then they would have to follow these instructions that were laid out in Leviticus 14. And I'll let you read Leviticus 14 on your own. But basically, the ex-leper would have to go to the priest, and uh, if he checks out symptoms-wise, if he's really healed, uh, the priest would take two birds. One of them would be killed, and the one that's still alive would be dipped in the bird's blood and let go. And then that blood would be sprinkled on the ex-leper seven times, and he would have to wash his clothes and take a shower and all that, and he would be declared clean. And then after a week, he would have to bring back three lambs, And he'd have to make three offerings, a sin offering, a guilt offering, and a burnt offering. And there's other aspects to it too, but that's basically the gist of it. So Jesus tells the man to go do these things without telling anyone about it. But, and we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 next time, uh, this man disobeys. So that's our story. Jesus heals a leper. And again, hopefully our understanding of the context and the background of leprosy has helped us to understand this story, right? To understand why this would have been such a shocking and significant story in first century Israel. Because lepers are not supposed to be in cities. Lepers are not supposed to be touched. And lepers are not supposed to be healed. And so this would have been shocking to a first century Jewish audience But as you know, uh, we don't live in the first century. Uh, We don't live in that culture. 
And so as we think about this passage, and as we think about our own lives here in 21st century America, we have to ask, like, how does this story apply to us? How does a story about a man who has a disease, and if he had Hansen's disease, well, it's a very rare disease now. There's something like 200 cases per year in the United States, which is fewer than the number of people who get hit by lightning every year. And so it's very rare, and it's treatable. So how does a story about a man who has something like that speak to us today? Well, to understand that, we need to take a step back and understand that leprosy in the Bible, it's a picture of a greater reality. It's a picture of the greater reality of our sin. And the clearest way to see that is in that ritual that I told you about earlier uh, from Leviticus chapter 14, right? the, the, the ritual by which a man healed of leprosy would be declared clean. Because think about what needs to happen there. First, you've got these two birds. One of them is killed. One of them is set free. Sounds kind of familiar. Because that's exactly what happens on the Day of Atonement. Right? Yom Kippur uh, with the two goats. Right? One is killed and one is set free. Right? That's how the sin of the people was atoned for. Well, why such similarities? Because leprosy functions as a picture of sin. And then you've got the three lambs, right? One for a guilt offering, one for a sin offering, one for a burnt offering. And we have to ask the question, why are animal sacrifices required for a physical disease? And the answer again is because leprosy functioned as a picture of sin. It's a picture of how our sin not only destroys us, but also more significantly separates us from God. Right? By making us unclean before him. Listen to what Isaiah 1 says about our sin. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds, leprosy. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And so just like leprosy, Our sin relegates us to a living death. We're dead even while we live, to borrow Paul's language from 1 Timothy 5. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're spiritually dead even though we're physically alive. And so we find ourselves, Ephesians 2.12, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world. No hope, and without God in this world, exactly what leprosy did, so sin does. Incurably separating us from God. But you see, if leprosy is a picture of our sin, then this story, in which the leper comes to Jesus to be made clean, you see, that's a a beautiful picture of the gospel. That's a beautiful picture of salvation. The leper's got nowhere else to turn. Right? He is desperate. He is hopeless in his own strength and ability. But he comes to Christ. And so we, when we're just at the end of ourselves, right, realizing just how desperately hopeless we are in our own righteousness, in our own ability to justify ourselves before a holy God, all we can do is come to Christ. 
And the leper throws himself on the ground. He bows before Jesus. He acknowledges him as God. He begs to be cleansed. And so the sinner, who won't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And just like Jesus, in love and compassion, he reaches out and he touches the leper. What a great act of condescension, right? That, that, that a clean man would touch an unclean leper. But how much more the condescension when the Holy Son of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He takes upon himself all the limitations and the frailties of humanity. So he doesn't just reach out and touch us. He literally becomes one of us. And in every respect, he's tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then he goes to the cross where he takes upon himself all the sins of his people, all the spiritual leprosy of his people, the uncleanness of his people, the defilement, the shame of his people, and he dies on the cross. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so he suffers the wrath of God for those sins, for that leprosy, for that uncleanness in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous. And in exchange, he makes us perfectly righteous, perfectly clean. And so just like on that day when he healed that leper, Well, so Jesus says to all of his people, I will be clean. And just like this leper's healing was instantaneous and complete, like immediately the leprosy left him. So our salvation is complete and instantaneous. All of our sin is nailed to the cross. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Like instantly, immediately, without any probation, without any penance, without any works to get yourself to God, we are instantly made righteous, justified because of what Jesus has done. So that for all who come to Christ and trust in him, you can be made clean. Listen to the language of 1 John Keep in mind those themes of cleanness, uncleanness. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can make me clean. Well, he does by his blood. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from all that leprosy represented, our sin, our defilement, our shame. Lord, now, indeed, I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Friends, the main takeaway from this story, right? don't miss this, is that the former is a beautiful picture of the latter. Right, that the one who can change the leper's spots can also melt the heart of stone. So let me close by asking you, do you see yourself as the leper in this story? 
as one who's in desperate need for cleansing, because of your defiling sin, because of your transgressions that separate you from a holy God. And children, okay, children, listen to me, boys and girls. I think this is a particularly important thing for you because you're growing up in good Christian homes. Okay, you're growing up with the Word of God. And so maybe you think, maybe you think, oh, the people out there, they're the sinners. Right? They're the lepers. They're the ones that need this. And you forget that your heart is wretchedly sinful too. Right? You need to see that you are a spiritual leper. We all need to see that we are this spiritual leper. We're spiritually dead. Our sin has separated us from God. We're desperate. We're hopeless. We're in need of grace, just like anybody else. But the good news of this story, the good news of this entire gospel, the good news of this entire Bible, is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to cleanse spiritual lepers. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all who would come to him. And so the Bible promises that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're like this leper, and you, you, you know that God can save, but you're wondering right now if God will save a wretched sinner like you, well, I remind you of who we're dealing with here in the Jesus of this story, right? The Jesus of this gospel, the Jesus of this Bible. He's the one who touches lepers in compassion. He's the one who, in an even greater act of condescension, takes on humanity to die for sinners like us. He's the one who beckons sinners to come to him. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Father, we see the glories of Christ so clearly displayed in this narrative. Father, we pray that the seed of your word would have fallen on good soil. Father, we pray that even as we finish this sermon and uh, leave this place, Lord, that you would continue to impress the truths of your word onto our hearts, that your Son is a wonderful and merciful Savior who has come to save lost sinners like us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.